All right. Hey, if you want to take your seats, we are about ready to get started here with our teaching time. And actually, our teaching time today is going to be a Q&A, so it's uh, going to be pretty exciting. For those of you that don't know, we're kind of in the middle of our fuel series, fuels, uh, multiplication, and we've been following what Jesus's vision was back in the early church, and connects values and mission is exactly the same as what Jesus, his mission was when he was here on earth. So uh, we're excited about that so series, good. but we're taking a little bit of a break, and we have like a missionary uh, Sunday, so to speak, for today, and as you can tell... I'm uh, decked out in my missionary garb. This is actually from Africa. My wife, Jean, went on an African missionary trip some years ago and brought me this back. So uh, awesome. But uh, we're going to be talking about Indonesia today, and I'm pretty excited about that. Some of you know who Nikki is. Most of you do not. So I'm going to bring Nikki up right now. Nikki, if you want to come on up, give it up for Nikki. This is Nikki Stubbs. Hello. You can take that seat right over there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she's very tall and wearing heels today, Nikki. Very good. I'm glad I'm still a little taller than you, though. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So this is Nikki, and um, I tell you what, there's, uh, I think we met you back in 2009, I think it was. It was something like that. Yeah, I believe so, probably. And uh, I know you're going to tell uh, part of your story today, uh, so I'm not going to ruin any of that. But, you know, one of the things that um, when Russ and Chris planted Connect Church down in Bozeman. We can sit down. Let's go ahead and sit down. uh, Planted Connect Church down in Bozeman. Uh, The Lord really gave them a call on their heart for uh, the unchurched and the de-churched. And and what we, the phrase we use around here is being on mission. And and we have a mission team leader, Will and Melissa Garten, and Will was up here before doing the announcements. And so he's, uh, they are our mission team leaders. And so Connect is really passionate about reaching out to the local community and surrounding area and, and reaching the uh, unchurched and the de-churched. Well, another part of what God had placed on their hearts, Russ and Chris, back many years ago, is also being uh, world missions focused as well. And Connect Church uh, gives to plenty of missionaries around. I can't remember the exact number now, how many we give to, uh, but that's the Bozeman campus. And here at the Great Falls campus, we're, next year in the budget, we're going to have two missionaries that we're going to give to as well. So missions, world missions especially, is, is another uh, heartbeat that Connect has. And, uh, and I know for Russ and Chris, it was really exciting, Nikki, when you decided uh, to become a full-time missionary, because Nikki is really the first uh, connector to go and be a full-time missionary. And that's another thing that Russ and Chris have on their hearts, is to raise up missionaries and into full-time missions and send them abroad. So I just want to give it up to you that you are the awesome. first connect full-time missionary. And so really, we're really excited uh, to have you with us today. So I know that, that a lot of the folks here don't know who you are. So why don't you give a little bit of your background story and how you became a connector and, and all that. So Okay. All right. all right. Are you guys ready for a fun story? Okay. <laughs> so um, I grew up in Bozeman, Belgrade area. Um, I grew up in churches around the valley. Yeah, grew up in a nominal Christian family, I would say. Um, and in 2008, uh, f- February of 2008, Connect Church Bozeman was planted, and my family had been uh, just church searching, looking for a new place to go, and so we heard about Connect, and so we showed up um, the very first service at Connect Bel- uh, Bozeman now, 
Uh, and at that time, my mom had been diagnosed with uh, breast cancer, and it had spread to the rest of her body. And so her health was decreasing really rapidly at, at that point. And um, I was just 15 years old, and I had a little brother who was 12. And um, we had only been going to connect for about a month. And in March of 2008, my mom ended up passing away um, from cancer. And so uh, I was left with my biological father, who um, my whole life, and really especially at that time, we had a really broken relationship, and we didn't, um, we didn't know how to navigate a relationship with each other. We had always been very distant, and, and so um, I was just left in this place of really grieving over the loss of my, my best friend. My mom was really everything to me at that point. Um, and then having to navigate this relationship with a dad that I felt I didn't really know. Um, and so my life just spiraled out of control at that time. And, and I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I had grown up in church, but I wanted nothing to do with the Lord. Um, what I had seen of Christianity was really um, hypocritical, really. I had mm-hmm. seen people who come to church on Sunday and smile and act like life is good, but behind closed doors, um, there was abuse and lying and, and just a lot of things, and I wanted no part of it. And so um, I was also dealing with that. You know, I didn't have hope in this loss of my mother because I didn't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a relationship with him. Um, and so within a year's time, I ended up losing my mom, uh, my grandma, who I was very close with, my grandpa, and a friend, all within that short amount of time, and so dealing with all of this loss, and also, um, yeah, just dealing with depression, I had a very severe depression, and um, self-harming, and so I started getting into drugs, and alcohol, just really whatever I could to to numb the pain, Um, and throughout all of this time, uh, Chris, who was the, my pastor's wife at that time, um, that's kind of the relationship we had at that time, had asked me to come to coffee, and, and she was really reaching out to me. Uh, and my grandma said, Nikki, I think you should go. This was before my grandma passed away, and she said, Nikki, I think you should go to coffee with um, your pastor's wife. And I said, no, I don't want to go. And she's like, well, you're going anyways. So <laughs> so I was forced to uh, go to coffee with Chris for, <laughs> for um, about a year, every single Thursday. And I acted as if I didn't want to be there and that, oh, what are you doing? You're wasting your time with me. But deep down inside, I was wondering, why is this woman so interested mm-hmm. in investing in my life? And um, I just saw something so different about her and Russ's life. And uh, yeah, so that's why there was a part of me that kept wanting to go to coffee with her. And so throughout all of this time, my, my life was, yeah, just spiraling out of control. And um, I had come to this point where I'd really hit rock bottom, and I had um, left my, my dad's house, and so I was living in my car. I was living from friend's house to friend's house, um, just living a really reckless lifestyle, and I was a zombie. I, I couldn't feel anything. I didn't care about anyone. I didn't care about myself, and I came to Connect Church um, one evening in service, and I just said to Chris, I said, I don't have anywhere to go. You know, my life has hit rock bottom, and and I don't know where else to turn to. And I expected her to send me to a group home or Mm -hmm. to someone in the church's house or something, but she said, why don't you come home with us and stay with us? And that um, kind of, it was supposed to be maybe just for a few days, and it kind of turned into the rest of my life. So... (laughs) um, So throughout that, um, I I guess it was really a a five-year period, I was back and forth um, staying in their house and going back to my father's house and and just really wandering, you know, in life. And um, 
through, through their life and through their love and just through their support to me, I really saw who Jesus was. And so um, I started a relationship with the Lord because for the first time through um, Russ and Chris's life, who became a mom and dad to me, they really adopted me as, as their own. And, and for the first time in my life, I really felt that I had parents and, and people who were fighting for me. Um, I had never felt like I had been, you know, been fought for. And so for the first time, I felt like, wow, these are two people who know me. You, you know, I was a stranger to them, but they really fought for my life. And, and so through that, I um, got to know the Lord. And I, yeah, just started being more a part of Connect. And through that um, relationship with them and relationship with the Lord, God really birthed a heart for missions. And it slowly led into mm-hmm. where I'm at today. Right, right. Yeah. That's, and I remember those years too, because Jean and I were praying for you during those years. And, and I think the thing that I'd like to know uh, is... What were the actual decisions that you made to where you th- you saw uh, obviously a genuine faith in Russ and Chris, but mm-hmm. where you decided I want this faith to be my own? What are the tangible steps that you took to uh, to walk out that and get into this relationship with Jesus? Because you were going back and forth right. into the world and then into you know into church and back and yeah. so then it, it got to a point to where there were some specific decisions that you made yeah. and I don't know what those are but yeah. I was just wondering you know do you have some concrete decisions that actually boom and at that point in time it's like everything's different now yeah um, I had really come to this point in my life in my senior year of high school um, where I was basically came to a crossroads and I had this opportunity to move to Florida with my best friend which was a terrible idea (laughs) but um I was well at that moment I was choosing that I was I was going to move to Florida I didn't know what would come out of that I had Mm -hmm. no idea what I was going to do when I got to Florida but I thought well I'll just do this or um just living for the Lord and so I came to this point where I was like okay do I want to live for myself or do I want to give the Lord a chance and Mm -hmm. um it really happened through um, me getting in a car accident, and I, I really should have died in that car accident. Um, my friend who was driving was drunk, and we nearly mm-hmm. fell over a bridge. And in that moment, I just I felt like the Lord was saying, Nikki, when is it going to be enough? Like, when are you going to choose me? Right. And so uh, weeks following that, uh, my friend had mentioned about YWAM to me, about this you know, missions organization. And I had heard of it, but I didn't really know much about it. And so, um, yeah, one day I was just sitting in a coffee shop, really, and in Bozeman, and I said, okay, Lord, if you really have a plan for my life, if this is really something that, you know, my broken, messed up life, that you can take it and use it for something, then I need you to show me so clearly. And I was in that coffee shop, and I typed in the word YWAM into the computer, mm-hmm. and uh, this YWAM Kauai in Hawaii had popped up, and their whole mission statement was discipling people from broken lives who had just been shattered by relationships and by life, and um, basically out of Isaiah 61, and bringing uh, beauty from ashes, and then sending them out into the mission, and I thought, wow, this is my story, this is, you know, who I am, and I said, if they're willing to give me a chance, then I'm going to go, and so I went to connect um, Bozeman, and most people had known the lifestyle I had been living, you know, the drugs and alcohol and everything. And so I didn't know if anyone would support me in this dream. But Mm -hmm. I said, uh, guys, I feel that God told me to go to missions with YWAM. And so if you'll support me, you know, I want to go. And all of the money came in. And from the very beginning, Connect has been such a part of 
yeah, just launching me out into this mission field. And so it was really not like um, a significant step at that point where I said, okay, Jesus, I'm willing to follow you. I was really giving God a shot. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, Lord, right. you got to show yourself that this is for real. Yeah. And um, he has just been so faithful nice. to me. And he completely changed my life during that time. And I never thought I would be in full-term missions, mm-hmm. but... Here I am. There you are. That's awesome. Well, that's good. So uh, some people might not know what YWAM is. Mm -hmm. So why don't you give a little background as to what what YWAM is, who they are, and what they do. Yeah. So um, YWAM in Long is Youth with a Mission. Um, We have about 185 different bases all around the world. And so the the heart of where YWAM started was to um, disciple young people who just and now it's people of all ages. It's not necessarily young people, but just discipling people who want a taste of missions but don't know how to step into that or, um, yeah, have never been on missions trips before. And so it's a six-month intense um, discipleship training. And and in that time, there's three months of just healing and learning about who God is, um, and then three months of going out and doing um, practical mission stuff. And so we have uh, lots of other ministries. Um, in Indonesia, we have ministries reaching out to the street kids um, who are begging on the streets. And speaking of Operation Christmas Child, uh, we actually, some of our teams are actually the ones who get to give the shoe boxes mm. to these kids. And so I've yeah. seen um, little hundreds of kids in India who have come from the slums and who have come from Hindu backgrounds who've never heard the name of Jesus. And they all gather in these little shacks and just waiting for a Christmas present. And so we get to hand it out mm. personally to these kids and watching them open the boxes. And some of them, their, their eyes are just filled with tears because they've never received Christmas presents. You know, they're from the, the poor slums of India or Indonesia. Um, and for the first time, they get to hear the name of Jesus. And so, yeah, Operation Christmas Child, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> so if this is your opportunity to share the gospel with some, you know, some child somewhere in the world, I say it's totally worth it for that right. 15 bucks or that $7 that you fill it up with. Yeah. Um, and so we do lots of different ministries, reaching out to women um, mm-hmm. in prostitution, getting them out of the bars and getting them trained up in, in other jobs um, in coffee shops and and places like that. And then we also do work in the prisons. So mm-hmm. YWAM is kind of um, wanting to reach out to all spheres of society and just to reach all people groups. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we just, wherever we see a need, we ask the Lord if we're to move. And if he says yes, then we go. And that's awesome. so that's kind of what YWAM is about. Yeah. So then you did your training then over in Hawaii, right? Yes. And how long yeah. was that training? Um, so I did three months of training in Kauai and uh, then four months of the outreach phase in Hong Kong, Thailand, and Indonesia. And then Indonesia. Yeah. So did they place you in Indonesia or do you, did you get to choose? Did they have like an opening there or did you get to choose or how does that work? Um, no, we, well, yeah, we had gone there. That was where they chose for us to go for this four month phase. Mm-hmm. Um, two weeks before we were supposed to leave Indonesia back to Hawaii. I just, I knew that I had fallen in love with these people, and I knew that Indonesia in that short amount of time had become my home, mm. and I just loved these people with a love I, I really can't explain. Um, I would just, you know, meet these people and say, wow, I love you with all of my heart, and I didn't know where this love was coming from, you know, but I really believe that God was stirring up my heart for this nation, and, and so, yeah, I came back, um, right before we came back to Hawaii, I said, I know I have to come back here, mm-hmm. and so I came back to the States for about eight months, I think. And then I went back to Indonesia, and I've been there ever since. And so how long ago was that? Um, four years ago. About four years ago. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, I know that you have a video that you prepared for us just to give yes. us a little sense as to what's going on over there in Indonesia. Yeah. So let's go ahead and roll that video now, and then we'll continue after that. That's wonderful. So that gives you a little bit of sense as to what Nikki's been up to the last four years. So uh, let's finish and end the thing about YWAM real quick. What is your role in, in YWAM? Um, so this is on, right? It is. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Um, so my role, um, I didn't know actually what I was going to do when I came to Indonesia. I kind of just went knowing that the Lord had put Indonesia on my heart, but I had no idea what I would do when I got there. Um, so quickly the Lord led me into the prisons. Um, and if I can just share a short story about that one day I was, um, praying and I just said, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing here in Indonesia? And he, he really moved my heart about the prison ministry. And so I asked, okay, who am I supposed to visit in prison? And he really, he gave me a very vivid picture of this woman's face. And so I had explained it to my leader, and I said, I think I saw this, you know, this type of hair and, and whatever. And so um, she said, I think this is the, the lady you're talking about. And so I went to the prison in faith, not knowing if this lady was even in the prison. But um, I, we called her out. And when she walked through the visit area, that was the exact woman that I had mm-hmm. seen during my prayer time. Mm-hmm. And so I just knew from that moment that, yeah, that's where God had called me um, to do a huge focus in prison ministry. And so that has really been... Uh, my role in YWAM is being an advocate and working in um, the prison among trafficked women who have, yeah, eventually ended, ended up with life sentences mm-hmm. in prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, w- obviously, when you got over there and you first started working with YM, YWAM, you were just a worker, right? So how did that progression and wh- what did you end up doing as far as part being a part of leadership of YWAM? How does that progress throughout the years? Um, really the grace of God. I never saw myself as a leader at Mm -hmm. all, and I never really wanted to be in leadership in YWAM. I just was following what the Lord had asked me to do. Um, and yeah, I, the, the, my leaders at the YWAM base in Indonesia, um, we have a discipleship training school where, um, students from all over the world, but specifically from Indonesia, um, come and are, are just discipled and trained up and launched out into missions around the world. And so we have this school every, um, like, three months in our base. And so they were looking for leaders um, just to lead these people. And I don't know, I guess they saw a leadership quality in me that mm-hmm. I didn't see in myself. And so they asked me to pray about it. And um, most of the time, I really don't think that I can do it. But when I asked the Lord, he says, yes, so I just obey. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so the Lord said, yes, I want you to lead this school. And so I said, okay, Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing. But we just went step by step. And um, through that, yeah, the Lord has just led me into leadership and just it's such a privilege for me really to um, be able to say that I've been a part of just discipling these young people of Indonesia because these are kids who are coming from the villages who have never heard the name of Jesus and and somehow someone is reaching them and they're coming to our schools and now they are doing Bible translations and unreached people groups and they are going into full-time missions themselves and mm-hmm. um, just the the fact that I have gotten to be a small part of that in, in leading these schools is yeah, has been a huge privilege for me. So, so how many students do you have at any t- any one time normally? Um, normally, every school is from fifteen to twenty five students. Mm-hmm. But you're spending six months together, mm-hmm. um, from morning until night, every day, in and out for six months. So you get to know these people pretty well. Right now, a yeah. lot of that's probably book work, studying the Bible and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then you probably also go out and do different types of missions work around the area. Yeah, explain a little bit of that. What does that look like? 
Um, yeah, so, yeah, a lot of it is in classroom. Uh, we, ha- we do a lot of ministry time as well because we realize that a lot of people come into missions with a lot of baggage, um, just like myself, you know, and so mm-hmm. we think it's important to um, get that holistic healing before being sent out to all of these, you know, broken people around the world, and so mm-hmm. we do lots of um, classroom time where we just let the Holy Spirit move and heal people, and uh, we do a lot of counseling and mentoring with these students as well. Um, and then even in the classroom phase, we are launching them out into ministry. So they come to the prisons with us. Um, they go to the street kids. They are just ministering right when they step off the plane in Bali, you know. And mm-hmm. so um, we don't think it needs to take, you know, years for them to get enough equipping to mm-hmm. be able to do ministry. But as the Lord is healing them, they're going out and stepping right. out in faith and ministering to right. so, That's great. Yeah. That's great. Now, I know that you have a story also, too, uh, recently, and I don't remember how long ago, but you started to travel to minister at a prison, right? Mm-hmm. Why yeah. don't you explain that story a little bit? Um. So, yeah, like I said, the Lord early on had led me into pr- prison ministry in Indonesia, and I didn't know really where that, where he would take me with that. Um, but, yeah, the Lord has just been so faithful to lead me to the right people. I've never had to, like, go and search out these people, but God has just led them into my life. And um, I just want to share a couple stories about a few of the people that I've been, um, yeah, visiting in the prison the last four years. Two of them are actually American citizens. Um, you may have heard their stories in the news because it was big a couple years ago. Um, they were 19 and, and 20, 21 years old. Um, they were from Chicago. They went over to Bali, to Indonesia, um, on vacation with this um, young girl's mother. So they were a boyfriend and girlfriend, um, young couple. They went over with the girlfriend's mother um, for a vacation, and they were pregnant. And so they were going to tell um, their mom during the vacation that they were pregnant. And... Um, yeah, it just turned into a nightmare, and they ended up murdering this girl's mother, and they put her in a suitcase, um, and then they put her in a taxi cab and, and mm-hmm. attempted to run away, and um, they ended up in Indonesian prison, and they were sentenced to 10 and 15 years in, in prison in Indonesia, and um, most of you probably don't know the conditions of Indonesian prisons, but they're awful. Uh, you don't get If you don't have family and you don't have money, you don't have anything, so they give you one portion of food a day, you don't get toiletries, anything. Um, the s- sewers are open sewers. Like, it's just awful. If you can think of hell and, and worse, that's what prison in Indonesia looks like. Um, and so they had their baby a year and a half ago in prison, and she's grown up. Um, yeah, I mean, she's been raised the last year and a half with her mom in prison. And now they're being forced to make the decision who they will send their child with because she needs to come out of the prison at two years old. Mm-hmm. And so now this little girl is growing up without... Um, without her parents because of, yeah, the choices that they made. But we um, have just been visiting them and just trying to meet their basic needs, buying formula and diapers and things for this Mm -hmm. baby. And um, just knowing that they were American citizens and that they were my age when I was kind of discovering the Lord, um, I just really had a huge burden for them. And when my mom and dad uh, came over to Bali last year, they were able to meet them as well. Mm -hmm. And... um, yeah, we, we have hope that one day they will have a relationship with Jesus. It hasn't mm-hmm. happened yet. Um, but we kind of just are living life. We aren't physically living in the prison with them, but these people become our family, you know, and mm-hmm. it's not just someone in the prison, but they really have become, you know, like our brothers and our sisters. And so we just do whatever we can to make sure that they know about Jesus and also that they know that they always, you know, have that support with them. 
Right. Yeah. Now, I know it, it, you wouldn't call it a sacrifice. It's just your heart for uh, for this prison ministry. But but it takes you a long time to get there, and it takes yeah. you a long time to get back. Mm-hmm. Just talk a little bit about that, because I think that's significant. Um, so I one of my friends who I work with in Indonesia um, had asked me if I would go and visit this woman from South Africa who was actually in another island. Um, And so I had never been to this other island before. To get there, um, we had to ride our motorbikes um, that you saw in the video for four hours, and then we had to ride a boat for another four hours to get to this island. And so um, I get really seasick, so I was not keen on doing this whole trip. (laughs) But um, I I prayed about it, and the Lord said to go. So I went um, with my friend, and I walked into this um, prison, and the woman that I was supposed to be visiting, her name is Kathleen, and the first time that I saw Kathleen, um, the Lord just gave me such a love in my heart for her. And I knew that I was supposed to, to walk with her. And whatever that meant, I, I didn't really know at that point. But I knew that, that God had led me to this island to meet this woman. And um, when I met her, she, uh, she was actually in prison for trafficking drugs from South Africa. Um, she was addicted to, to heroin for many years. Uh, she was living on the streets of, of Johannesburg, South Africa, and a drug lord from Nigeria had come and offered her money. And, um, you know, we say that, well, what a dumb decision to, to traffic drugs to another country. But when you're in that position of being a drug addict, and I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you can relate, I'm not sure, but um, when you're in that vulnerable position and you have nothing and your family has abandoned you and someone comes and offers you this money to step out of this lifestyle you know, she saw it as a, a good opportunity. And so she thought, if I can just bring these drugs to Indonesia, I can get this money, I can come back to my country, and I can go to rehab, and mm-hmm. I can get well, you know. Um, but it was a trap, and they had actually trafficked her. They were using her as a bait for a bigger drug shipment that was being shipped to Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And so when she arrived in Indonesia, she was already arrested um, in the airport and given a life sentence in prison. And uh, she has a 12-year-old daughter in in South Africa that she hasn't seen for several Mm -hmm. years. So when I met her, she was still addicted to heroin. I mean, she was just in this hopeless state. And she had been in prison for two years, and no one had visited her. There had been not one person that said, Kathleen, I'm going to walk with you. And and she had a really um, awful lawyer who had just um, lied and and just really corrupted her whole case. So she was just in this point of hopelessness. and I didn't know all of this when I met her. You know, I just knew that the Lord had said, Nikki, I want you to walk with her. So, um, yeah, over the last two years, I've known her for two years now. And over the last two years, um, I just, I thought to myself at first, Lord, how am I going to get to this island every two weeks? I mean, it's not, I didn't have a lot of money at that time. So I was thinking about the cost, but I was also thinking about the time that it took and how much time to travel. And I only got to visit her for three hours. So I thought, is this really worth it? You know, like, is it worth investing? Um, or am I really making an, any investment in her life by doing all of this travel? And, and so every two weeks, I would get on my motorbike and ride for four hours and get on the boat and ride for four hours and go and visit her for three hours and come right back. Um, and, you know, the Lord really spoke to me in those times when I was doubting and wondering if I was really making a difference. Um, he just reminded me about the way that um, Russ and Chris, my mom and dad, had 
fought for me and really fought for my life and invested in my life. And he asked, the Lord asked me, Nikki, were you worth fighting for in all of those times? You know, like mm. people could have given up on you so many times and, um, but they didn't. And were you worth it? You know? And so I just thought about that and I thought, wow, if someone who didn't know me was willing to fight for me, then yes, I'm willing to fight for Kathleen, whatever the cost. And, um, and so just over the last two years, I'm just so excited to share her story. And, and I love speaking about Kathleen's life because I have seen her come from this woman who was addicted to heroin and in this hopeless state. She didn't ha- want any relationship with the Lord. She was very untrusting of people. And now um, she's actually in a different island. She was transferred from, uh, to another prison. Mm-hmm. But now she is a woman who comes up to me and says, Nikki, I heard God say something to me mm-hmm. for you. Can I pray for you? Can I share with you? She is drug-free now. She has stopped smoking. She stopped using drugs. Um, she is ministering to other women in the prison mm-hmm. now. And she's reaching out to the Muslims and the Hindus who are in her cells. And she will come That's to me and say, great. Nikki, I prayed for a Muslim girl in my cell last night. And mm-hmm. I think she wants to know more about Jesus. <laughs> and just seeing this woman from where she came from until now. And Kathleen is on mission in prison. She still has a life sentence. Her circumstances haven't really changed, but her heart has changed and she is just digging up whatever God has for her life, and she's on mission in prison. And um, yeah, and so my part in all of that is really um, out of Kathleen's life has just been birthed this heart to be an advocate for these women um, because I was fought for, and so my heart is to fight for these women, whatever it takes. And, and so this has um, led me into studying Indonesian law and meeting with lawyers around Indonesia um, to help change laws against these women who have been trafficked, um, who are victims themselves. Uh, and hopefully someday the dream is to see their sentences reduced so that they can go out and, and you know, just be a voice for, for the voiceless, for those who can't speak for themselves, and to stand up for other women who have been in their situations. But um, just really out of Kathleen's life, this this um, advocacy work has been birthed. So, right. well, that's yeah. really neat. Now, uh, I, I know I want to talk about what the future looks like for you and the prison ministry and stuff, mm-hmm. but I, I do want to know a little bit about um, the prison leadership, and you said mm-hmm. that you're kind of working with the government a little bit. Mm-hmm. Are they encouraging of missionaries to go in and, and help people, or do you kind of do it secretly? How, how does that work? Um, no, I would probably be put in jail myself if they knew I was a missionary in prison. So, <laughs> um, I yeah, the I have just had such favor with the the prison guards, the police in in the prisons, really around Indonesia, not just in the prison where Kathleen has been. Um, sometimes, even while I'm here in America, they're texting me and saying, "Hey, all your girls are doing good." They say hi. So, <laughs> just been such favor with the police officers in Indonesia, um, and. So they don't know that I am a missionary technically in Indonesia because of security reasons. I'm a social worker, even though I've never gone to school to do social work, (laughs) but I'm a social worker in Indonesia. Um, And so a lot of um, the police officers just see my friendship with these girls. And so um, they just count me as a friend. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't necessarily know the ins and the outs of everything that I'm doing with these girls because obviously they don't listen to our conversations. Um, Well, it's very different in Indonesia. We just sit on a floor together and no one listens to your conversations and, right. and things like that. And so um, they just, yeah, are wondering, why is this crazy white girl always coming to visit all of these prisoners? <laughs> That's pretty much all they think about me. But, um, 
yeah, they've invited me to their houses for dinner. Um, one police officer in Java Island in Indonesia, um, she has just really invited me into her family and, and invited me to church. She's actually a Christian. Mm. Um, nice. And... Yeah, just really uh, like adopted me into their family. And uh, every time that I go back to Bali, she always says, hey, can you bring stuff from Bali for my kids? You know, so I've gotten to know all of her family. Um, But just seeing the favor with that. I mean, in reality, I'm a foreigner in Indonesia, and I shouldn't have this type of relationship with police officers. Mm -hmm. It's um, kind of, yeah, just really against the rules for me to be able to do that. But they have welcomed me in, and so Mm -hmm. it just really goes to show the favor of the Lord over that. Yeah, 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 that's really good testimony. So what does the future look like for you now in this prison, prison ministry? Um, so I have realized, um, over the last four years, it, the Holy Spirit has really been leading me. And as I said, a lot of favor has come. Um, I realized though, that a lot of people just see me as a friend of these girls. And I really don't have a lot of legal, um, ground to be able to help them and advocate Mm -hmm. for them in the courts. Um, I kind of go to the court, um, on their hearing days. I I just sit with them, but there's not a lot that I can say because I have no legal standing in there. Um, so the Lord really pressed on my heart to get more training and to be more equipped. So he opened the door for me to go to South Africa for this, um, counseling and advocacy training work and it's really funny that it's in well I mean it's the Lord but I thought it was funny he led me to South Africa because many of the women that I'm fighting for are from South Africa Mm. and so this gives me an opportunity to meet with their families and I hope um, that the door is open for me to be able to meet with Kathleen's daughter and just mm-hmm. to be able to share about the testimony of who her mom has become. Uh, so I, I'm really praying for that opportunity. But um, we're doing, yeah, it's going to be a three-month training course, uh, just learning how to um, work better with the court systems in Indonesia and also how to counsel these women so that when I go back into Indonesia, I can have this certification and training that the police can look at and say, okay, this girl you know, can have some say mm-hmm. in these cases and, and things like that. And so, um, yeah, a lot of it, I mean, it's not that I'm going through this whole lawyer degree or something like that but in indonesia um, there is such a need and it's a third world country and so any amount of training that you have puts you high above the rest you know and my Mm -hmm. my goal is not to get high above everybody else but i want to get the open door to be able to you know stand for these women and to Mm -hmm. be a voice for them and so um yeah i'm going to do that training school and then eventually when i go back to indonesia um my hope is to be able to yeah, um, do more legal work with them, more counseling mm-hmm. one-on-one with these women. And also we have a dream to have a, a safe house for these women to come after they've left prison uh, to be able to just be loved and discipled and have a safe place mm-hmm. to call home um, to launch them back into missions outside of prison. And right. so God has opened that door as well. And I have met a woman in Indonesia who had the same heart as me and someone had given her a house for ministry. They said, just use this house mm-hmm. for ministry, whatever you want to do. And her and I ended up meeting, connecting with each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we speak, there is a woman who just got released from prison in August. And she was actually trafficking children from Indonesia to Malaysia, um, went to prison, got saved, just totally on fire for the Lord. And now she wants to reach out to people who are trafficking children as well and just share Jesus with them. And so she's living in this house with my friends now um, in Indonesia and just being discipled and loved on and hopefully, yeah, launched back into missions out of prison. Oh, that's cool. That's really neat. 
Uh, well, to wrap up, I guess my last question is, is how can we specifically pray for you while you're doing this prison ministry? What are some specific needs that you can think of right now for prayer requests for us to come alongside of you? Um, yeah, well, I guess there, there's always an endless amount of prayer you can have. But um, I think specifically probably... Uh, like I said in the beginning, in, in Indonesian prisons, there's not food, there's no toiletries, there's none of those things. And so um, part of what we do when we are walking with these women in prison, we also support them monthly. And so um, for, for me, I have only been supporting two, not only, I guess I've been supporting two women. Um, one of them is Kathleen, and another girl is from Thailand. Um, her name is Anne. And so uh, just getting them their basic food, their mm-hmm. basic toiletries, but also resources to be able to reach out. So that means books or Bibles, whatever that looks like um, for the people that they are reaching in prison. And so the hope for that is to be able to support more women because Kathleen is just one story. There's thousands of women who are in the same, um, you know, have this a similar story to Kathleen who have found the Lord in prison um, but don't have support and don't have food and don't have toiletries. And mm-hmm. so um, my hope is that, yeah, to be able to support more women. So I guess just for finances would be a huge prayer support. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just that people would come and, and capture the vision of what is happening in Indonesia. Um, and then also... Uh, yeah, just as I'm stepping out into this journey of going to South Africa and getting more training and, mm-hmm. and going back to Indonesia, um, just for visa, there's a lot of visa issues that are going on. Um, and yeah, just that I would be able to go back into Indonesia and see God continuing to open doors and to move and that one day, you know, things would be able to be changed in Indonesia, mm-hmm. the laws and these women would, you know, be able to be uh, set free from prison oh, ultimately. Really but yeah. Yeah, so just praying that the Lord would just continue leading and also that my heart would be sensitive to continue being led by the Lord and not just, you know, by emotion or just jumping from place to place, but the Lord would lead those steps and open those doors. Yeah, right. That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, we want to pray for you right now. So, uh, but let's give it up for Nikki. What a great story. Yeah. And so I actually want you to step down here, and, and if you have a relationship with Nikki and you want to gather around and pray for Nikki and lay a hand on her, let's do that right now. So if you want to stretch out a hand as we pray, that would be awesome. Father God, we just thank you so much for Nikki, God, for what you've brought her through, first of all, God, um, how you have cared for her every step of the way, even back as a, a 15-year-old kid. And uh, we just thank you, Lord, that Russ and Chris... Uh, reached out to her and and saw the need and just walked alongside Nikki each step of the way. And God, I just thank you so much that you have birthed just such a heart of ministry and a heart of missions inside of Nikki. And now we just lift her up to you right now, God. We know that you have big things planned for her and uh, the future is a little uncertain, although you are definitely directing her path. And so I just pray for her, Lord, that you would uh, guide, lead, and just mold and, and shape her steps one step of the way. God, we lift up this training in South Africa. What a great time for her to receive this training, God. And Lord, I know that you're going to use that uh, for your purposes as she goes back to Indonesia and, and works with, this, with these prison ministries and with these women over there, God. And I just thank you so much. We lift up the safe house uh, 
right now, Lord, that the finances would come through, that there would be women that would be able, after they get out of prison, to be able to stay here and kind of like a transition house as well, where they can transition back into uh, their culture and, and be trained up to be missionaries to reach their people group, Lord, however you see fit. God, we just pray once again for that safe house. And God, we just pray for, uh, for Nikki and her future. God, we pray for the finances, God. Lord, you have been so faithful to meet every single need in Nikki's uh, missionary life that it's just mind-blowing, God. And so it really encourages my faith, Lord, that, that really that, that we can do anything as long as we are sensitive and listen to your spirit. You will just take care of everything, and we don't have to worry about it. And so I thank you for that, and I pray once again just for the finances to come through, for all these different things to take place, God. I pray for safety for Nikki. God, you have given her favor, and you have kept her safe. And Lord, we pray for that protection uh, going forward as well. Thank you so much for her story. Thank you for the encouragement in which she is in, in Jean's life, my life, and, and our life here. I thank you for bringing her to Great Falls so that we could hear her story and partner with her, God. And I just thank you so much for her. We lift her up to you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give it up for Nikki one more time. Sure. There you go. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say one more small thing. Um, I know that many of you, yeah, uh, don't know me, and this is the first time you're seeing me, but um, you are all part of, of Connect, and Connect is one, whether it be in Great Falls or Bozeman. Um, and so I just want you to know that as being a part of Connect, that you have invested in my life. And um, I just wanted to say thank you for, for believing uh, in me, for investing in my life, uh, even when I didn't believe in myself. And, you know, coming from a 15-year-old girl, but Connect has really been um, just behind me 100% um, since the very beginning. And so I just want to say thank you for being a part of that. Even if you've just met me today, you, you are a part of it because you're a part of Connect. And, and so just thank you for investing in what God is doing in Indonesia as well. And yeah, if any of you um, were in some of those positions that I talked about today of just being in a place of hopelessness and, and just never being fought for, um, I hope that, you know, my story, I, I'm not coming here today to just share as another missionary, but um, I've really been praying for, for this group for the last week. And I believe that there's some of you, you know, who maybe are in places of hopelessness and feeling like who has ever fought for me in my life and and I just hope that my story inspires you that that God is always fighting for you even when you don't realize it and I'm just a nobody girl from Belgrade I really wasn't anyone but but someone fought for me and God has encouraged me to fight for these women and I just yeah encourage you to pray and ask the Lord Lord where have you been fighting for me because I believe he wants to show you and I just want you to know that each of you are a part of what God is doing in Indonesia and I believe that yeah he's using you, whether it be your prayers or just your presence here this morning. You're a part of the mission in Indonesia and in my life as well. So thank you. All right. Thank you. Give it up for Nikki.